Live from the Talking Joe Studios. It's Talking Joe. Talking Joe is on the air. Hey, 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 ho. Oh. Uh, it's me, Mark. That was meant to be the Lumineers. I don't know if you got that one. Uh, it's me, Mark, head of guest relations for the Talking Joe Comics Podcast Casino. If you're new to the show, you can find out all of the details over at the website, which is talkingjoe.co.uk. Today, we will be looking at G.I. Joe, a real American hero, issue 292, which was released 11th of May 2022. It's the second part of the arc where Roadblock smokes a bunch of dope before cooking up some choice beef. That's right, it's high stakes. Uh, joining me, as always, it's a real American Tim. It's Tim Finn. Hello, Mark, and hello, listeners. Hi, Tim. It's uh, we were just talking earlier, and it's been it's been best part of a month because we've been doing things with our lives. I've been on holiday. I've been talking to British people about Action Force. You've been having free comic book days, all sorts, and uh, we're back to talk Joe once more. How was uh, Free Comic Book Day, by the way, this this year? It was great. Uh, it is historically our busiest day of the year. And mm-hmm. we had one last year, not 12 months ago, but on August 14th, because it, it was delayed because of the pandemic. And we got lucky. That managed to be the day that we reopened after oh, yes. our long closure for renovation. And that was a good day, but it was two things. It was it was free comic book day and our first day back, and also we had furiously unpacked that week. So uh, that was it was it's sort of hard to compare this year's free comic book day uh, with last year's. So uh, not our biggest bang for a free comic book day uh, this year, but that's fine with me because we didn't need the store to be packed the entire time because it's still a pandemic. And, um, yeah, I guess there's no and, uh, and also it's, it's, I should say <laughs> the sentence is allowed to finish. No, uh, there, there, there is an and, uh, it's, it's the end of the school year for me. Free comic book day has always been a little extra hard because it's always right around that week that I'm doing a bunch of final projects and meetings at school. And many years, uh, somehow we managed to have an event at the store one week earlier anyway. This has happened a bunch of times. And so having a uh, free comic book day that didn't line up with one of my city's sort of local cultural events or, you know, the weather was good, but it wasn't perfect. So, you know, maybe some people were going to come out. I know this sounds like I'm asking for for fewer customers uh, and that (laughs) might seem counterintuitive, but having every customer can be uh, its own kind of stress. Uh, but mm. but Free Comic Book Day was great. And um, you're, the, uh, you're the, the the store owner from uh, Black Books. If you've watched that, I think he gets infuriated when customers come in and start interfering with his shop. Uh, my wife has, has shown me two episodes, and I know it's a favorite of hers. Uh, part of also Free Comic Book Day, it's, it, it is a kickoff to summer. So mm-hmm. in a way that sort of the summer movie season doesn't have a kickoff anymore. You know, when I was in high school, it was Twister or Jurassic Park. And then, you know, 10 years ago, it was maybe a certain Marvel movie, but these big movies come out throughout the year anyway now. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so for a comic book store, it can feel like the kickoff to summer. And uh, that can be a double-edged sword for a store in a college town because some of your local population leaves. Uh-huh. Um, but at the same time, you know, publishers sometimes roll out exciting events. You know, Marvel and DC have historically had uh, summer crossovers some year. And it's exciting to see. We, we get the free comic book day comics ahead of time. We don't get them the day before. Um, but to sort of keep it special, I tape, we tape those boxes shut when we get them, once we've counted uh-huh. them to make sure that they arrived. Uh, and then we hide them because, uh, <laughs> no, because uh, we are not allowed to display give or sell them before free comic book day and there are there are repercussions if we do yeah and uh so we check them in we count them we tape the boxes shut and we put them in the back and even if it's you know a week or two or three ahead of time i don't take them home ahead of time to read them that that, that actually doesn't feel exciting i take them home the night before or the day of uh, and what's the what was the big book this year uh, we always we always run out of the Marvel book and the DC book uh, first. We didn't run out of the DC Dark Crisis sort of prologue, sort of preview. We didn't run out of that this year, but we're not in terms of new comics. We're not a big DC store. Um, and also Marvel published four free comic book day comics this year uh-huh. and DC published three. Uh, there's a there's an indie publisher, Ten Speed Press, although they're an imprint of a bigger publisher. And uh, the first thing we ran out of was their excerpt of a new graphic novel called "It Won't Always Be Like This." The author is uh, Malaka Garib, and uh, she had a graphic novel come out two or three years ago called um, uh, "Their American Dream," my American Dream, and uh, that was the first one we ran out of. Uh, and then after we'd run out of the Marvel Judgment Day, Avengers, X-Men, Eternals one, uh, that's the one that I wished we'd had, you know, 20 more of. Uh-huh. And, and to supplement, we had extras from last year's Free Comic Book Day for when we ran out. And also last year's uh, Halloween comics giveaway that Marvel did and the sort of version of Free Comic Book Day from Halloween two or three years ago. And were there... Any G.I. Joe free comic books, just Tim Tim Finn specials, just to get G.I. Joe, ha- G.I. Joe comics in people's hands? No, but <laughs> um, the free books were right next to the new and very recent issues rack. And I made sure to rearrange those so that uh, <laughs> the last three issues of G.I. Joe plus the Yojo and Cobra specials and the 40th anniversary silent interlude special uh, were all... Uh, G.I. Joe got a little bit more real estate on the new rack than it might, because I knew we'd have a lot of people coming in. Do you, do you still have a few copies of the uh, the 40th anniversary yeah. special? Because I know pe- people have been struggling to get hold of that one, because really? I think a lot of places underordered. Well, well, places are silly. Hub Comics is... Hub, comic, Hub Comics knows G.I. Joe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Other places are silly. Hub Comics isn't silly. Be like Hub Comics. I'm going to work on that tagline. We should. Uh, I, I'm. I could talk about my shop or the end of the school year for, for a lot longer. Let's. We should talk about this comic book. This specific one. Comic talk. Oh, comic talk. Larry Hammer writes them. Tim and Mark discuss them. Whoa. Comic talk. Oh, comic talk. Larry Hammer writes them. Tim and Mark discuss them. Whoa. 
Okay, so we are talking about issue 292, released 11th of May, which at the time of recording was just a few days ago. Uh, the creative team, writer, as always, Larry Hammer. Artist, as often, S.L. Gallant. Inks, as um, relatively new, but have done a few. Maria Keane. Colours, as always, Jay Brown. Letters, as always, Neil Utaki. Group editor, um, as mostly always, Tom Waltz. And research specialist, as well, Diana Davis. Let's have a look at the covers in the gallery. So we've got three, which uh, is a reassuring number. Uh, cover A is a continuation of the uh, the joined up cover from Freddie Williams II with colours by Fariza Kamaputra. Uh, cover B is from S.L. Gallant with uh, Mindbender and Cobra Commander in the casino on the front. Colours by J. Brown. And cover R.I. Retailer in, uh, Incentive Cover art by Jerry Kissel. Colours by Cullen Davis. Uh, Duke whacking Cobra Commander in the kisser. What did you think of these ones, Tim? So the, uh, the the Freddie Williams the second one I, I have spoken a lot about uh, these so I'll I'll do the one sentence version this this is a good composition considering that it is it has to be a composition for its own issue and also a much larger composition I know I shouldn't do a double take on um, on do you ever find yourself doing this you see someone draw snake uh, storm shadow and you think quick kick. <laughs> And maybe, and, and I know that Quick Kick doesn't wear a shirt. Also, I know Quick Kick's dead. But um, the red uh, sort of bandolier on on this Storm Shadow, and you know, mm-hmm. we tend to see Storm Shadow with a mask. And yeah, um, yeah, some not wearing, he's said, not wearing his mask. It's quite unusual. If Quick Kick is Bruce Lee, and you take Storm Shadow's mask off, and you give him a bigger mop of hair. Right. And you draw him really small and far away. Like he starts to, as a as a character type, as a martial arts character type, look more like Bruce Lee. And so my brain says, oh, there's Quick Kick. Um, Helix has a not quite a full costume. Um, mm. She's wearing her sort of yellow, although there's there's a lot of green in this yellow. Um, but there's no the sort of armor or the the sort of waist stomach piece or like a breastplate or a chest piece uh it just sort of looks like she's wearing you know a shirt and pants and then maybe she's got a uh a hood or a scarf or something but she's grabbing a sword which is cool yeah lifeline's got pistol in this one yeah yeah we've gone back and forth on uh sort of where 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 he's a pacifist and where he's not um before we get to cover b so um last last episode i was i was building up to an a, a sense of um somewhat mock anger and frustration about these these covers apparently trailing the return of serpentor which of course will never happen but now <laughs> well, the story but but that's is, i mean this this is a discussion for either the next episode because serpentor is not on this cover 
or when we talk about the interior of this issue. But I know where you're going. Yes. Okay. We'll we'll maybe get that. We'll get to it next next uh, next cover. But um, my my sense of uh, frustration that the cover is completely divorced from the interior is, I think, I'm going to have to eat my hat on that one. <laughs> so uh, we shall see. Okay, cover B from uh, Mr. Gallant. Cover B, we talked about a few months ago when it was the next month image, Mm -hmm. and we weren't sure if it was going to be that cover or not, and it ended up being two issues hence, and we weren't sure if that was a a scheduling snafu or a change. I really like this cover, and at my store, I have cover B in front of cover A, because, sorry, I don't think cover A sells this comic well, because... Most of these characters are not in the issue, but cover B very much represents what this issue is about and is also funny and is also highly unusual for not only an issue of G.I. Joe, but comic books in general, right? You tend not to have like, remember all those issues of X-Men, you know, like early on in the Hickman run or like in the mid 80s when Magneto was sort of a good guy and was training the new mutants when remember those all those covers of x-men when um xavier and magneto are are in a golf cart slowly (laughs) wending their way through a casino laughing and talking with each other while people are getting zapped or brainwashed in the back right Mm -hmm. like this is a really un you know if you think of gi joe covers you might think of Mike Zek covers where there's a lot of tension in the physical form of two people fighting or posing with weapons drawn or like blasting or, uh, you know, an Andy Kubert cover of some people posing or some vehicles flying by or, you know, a lot of uh, Shannon Gallant covers in the IDW run where one or two or three Joes is posing with not much of a background or like one color in the background or what's the what's the cover uh it's sort of a red background we're inside a helicopter uh who's been shot roadblock's been shot and they're five they're five joes four joes trying to help them uh, um, lady lady j's been shot lady j's been shot i think okay. yeah i think i mean um, roadblocks yeah like over the over the top Fact-checking Joe here. Tim is thinking of issue 198, which does have Roadblock on the cover with a gunshot wound. They must have been getting confused with issue 172, where Lady J is shot and Roadblock is standing over her. The situation reversed. Ten hut. You know, there's no one description of a cover. You have two or five or ten sort of general types for covers. The cover that this most reminds me of, and that's not even, uh, and this is this is a long time ago in the IDW run, but the Shannon Gallant cover where Serana is beating Mindbender with a giant novelty <laughs> molar yeah. in a dentist's office, although that cover doesn't have a background, um, because it's unusual and it's funny and maybe even absurd. And this is not absurd. This is just highly illustrative. Like, what what also what I'm saying is to a lesser extent we don't get as many story covers yeah as we used to in comics and that includes GI Joe we get a lot of you know people posing or Spider-Man swinging or Batman on a gargoyle this is almost a scene just from the comic book what also jumps out at me about this cover is there's a lot of great 
logo design and typography in it. The Cobra Casino logo is prominent. Mm-hmm. It looks great. Uh, the little uh, cold slither, right? And there's there's a cute joke. Little cold slither font treatment on the slot machines looks great. The what I'm assuming mm-hmm. are actually yep. LED screens uh, that say "Play Virtual Texas Hold'em" on the Bravewave scanner. Like that's really striking and good design work. And I'm going to guess it's Neil Uatake, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. And this is also a little unusual in that there are no Joes on it. There are only Cobra characters and civilians, right? It's like, when might that have happened? You know, like the Millville storyline. And then also, this is a this is a personal thing that doesn't mean anything to anyone. But when I first saw this cover, because uh, of the, the purple and the metal, the people who were getting brainwashed, I actually thought they were Night Creepers. My first impression of this cover was, hey, Night Creepers, because I, I identify G.I. Joe through color. So if I see purple, magenta silver gray and lavender i'm gonna i'm going to think night creepers uh, i love this cover excellent and uh yeah a lot of very natural body language there from those civilians over on the on the right there you know in a queue waiting to get on the uh virtual hold'em brainwave scanners and you know you're in a queue you're waiting what you do you know you're on your phone that's uh, and that's what they're doing Great, great cover. And, and to, to your sort of point that you made earlier about kind of the the cover A's being somewhat sort of generic um, looking in, in the last few few issues, uh, that really struck me as I was doing some prep for for, for this um, episode and I was kind of wanting to, to reference back to some earlier issues and I was flicking back through the issues in my long box and just looking at the covers... I'd, I had no idea what was happening in any given issue. I had to kind. Of, I actually was had a better clue as to what the contents of the issue were by looking at the the artist's name in very small fonts. Uh, it's like, oh yeah, you know, Billy Penn issue. Okay, that's the that's the one where where they were last on on, on they were on Cobra Island and and doing that that mission and etc. So yeah, they, I, I unfortunately get generally get the cover A uh, on on my standing order from my. Uh, comic book shop and and unfortunately that tends to be the um, slightly more generic uh, pinup rather than the story centric one but uh, we, yeah cover ri retailer incentive is drawn by as you said uh gary cassell or is it jerry cassell i think i said uh, did i say uh, I, I, jerry I, cassell no, I'm, I'm asking because i knows. don't know but it's it's g-e-r-y-y excuse me g-e-r-r-y k-i-s-s-e-l-l um, this artist has done some work for IDW before code word Geronimo, uh, a team, which was that tie into that movie and, uh, does some book covers for the shake Davis series of prose novels published by warriors publishing group. So we haven't seen this artist on GI Joe before. Um, and this is, mm-hmm. this is notable to me for two reasons. It's a little uh, cartoony. It's it's not. It doesn't scream, you know, animation style like Sunbow, but it is drawn more in that direction and less in a uh, more in an animated style yeah, and less yeah. in a you know American adventure or comic book style. And uh, particularly the the five characters, the four characters who are visible are so associated with the Sunbow series and the covers of the. Saturday Morning Adventures comic has been so much about 
the characters that you know from the cartoon, Duke, Flint, Destro, Baroness, etc., that for a second I thought that this was the wrong comic, that this was actually, you know, in my in my pile at the store, that this was actually Saturday uh, Morning Adventures 3's retailer incentive cover, because that came out the same day this week. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. The other thing that jumps out at me about this cover is that um, it is very much divided in half, that at, compositionally, Duke punching Cobra Commander is the bottom 45% of the cover. And then the, I don't know what vehicle this is. So in quotes, I'm going to say Firebat or Skyhawk. Yeah, there was, there was a little bit of a discussion on, on Hmm. that, on the Facebook uh, forum and uh, Magnus uh, pointed towards a Dragonhawk. So, uh, in the toy line, a Dragonhawk VTOL was a Sigma-6 vehicle, and the Dragonhawk XH-1 was a chopper, so somewhere in the middle of the two. Okay. Um, so uh, the top 55% of this cover is Scarlet kicking Baroness, and a little out of focus or knocked back because the outlines are not black but gray the background and you realize we're on the deck of the flag. Uh, and then two other things jump out at me about this cover sort of on looking at it uh, a little bit longer. Uh, one, uh, I'm pretty sure that this vehicle, not the flag, uh, maybe the flag. I'm pretty sure that this vehicle is a 3d model because it's shadows and it's perspective are so precise. Mm-hmm, yeah. And the Gatling guns on the front, like that, that shading looks like, you know, Google SketchUp, not the way that someone would draw. Um, and then I realized that Scarlet is in front of the logo in a way that almost never happens with G.I. Joe comics at IDW and did happen more often at Marvel. Um, IDW, whether by choice or by accident, appears to have been very hesitant these last 12 years in putting things much in front of the logos. And maybe it doesn't matter because it's the retailer incentive cover. There aren't very many of them. They're tending not to be put out for sale to sell the comic, but it's like rarer things. Uh, the cover is also uh, quite dark. You know, Duke Duke really pops, um, but there is a lot of there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of K, a lot of a lot of black ink uh, printed into the into the background and this vehicle. Uh, and then I wonder uh, who's piloting the vehicle. Do you know from 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 toy research or from mm. that Facebook discussion? No, they didn't talk about it. I'm just zooming in on uh, electronic version because I've got the black and white. What's art the vehicle as, called as well. again? It looks a little bit like looks a little bit. I think it's an imagine slightly imaginary. Okay. Uh, vehicle, By the way, I'm fine with an um, artist making up a particularly a Cobra vehicle. I'm totally fine with that. Uh, on a cover, this would not be a case where I'd say this should have been the fire bat. You got it wrong. It's like no, no, no. That's where you know <laughs> there were so many weird sort of half, half and half vehicles in the you know the movie tie-in lines and and some of the exclusive lines in the last ten years. Uh, and that's the kind of thing you'd see in the cartoon anyway, where where you know in one scene in one episode, someone would make up a vehicle that doesn't quite match an actual vehicle and. That reads as fun rather than as a mistake. Fair enough. Yeah, we'll, we'll I think go with Wild Weasel as uh, as a placeholder for for who that is anyway. So yeah, let's move on to the plot breakdown. 
In the aftermath of their last mission, the Joes are on the Tomahawk in the Transcarpathian Mountains, transporting their prisoner, Wotan. Dawn tells Scarlet about the memory leakages from the original Snake Eyes, including his feelings for Scarlet. She speculates that the brainwave scanner might be able to rectify the situation. Wotan interrupts, revealing he has two kilos of Semtex plastic explosives implanted in his back, which would be activated by a false tooth. His tooth is yanked out, but in the confusion he grabs a grenade, but is pushed out of the helicopter by Throwdown. Scarlet grabs Sean, saving him from the same fate that befell the original Snake Eyes. That is falling with a grenade and getting blown up. On Cobra Island, the Cobra Casino is just weeks from opening, but Dr. Mindbender is concentrating on his personal project. For Project One, he wants Laura to capture Snake Eyes again, and so that he can be replicated as an entire core of clones, Cobra, Ninja, Assassins. For Project Two, his glowing green DNA gestation tank is to be used to create a new and improved Serpentor. Mindbender has concluded that the original Serpentor had the wrong combination of ancient tactical geniuses. He has already travelled to the Gobi Desert to find the remains of Genghis Khan and will combine his DNA with that of Sun Tzu, Shaka Zulu and Marshal Zurkov to create the new and improved Serpentor. On steroids. Revanche sleeper agent Mei Ling is listening in and reporting back to Alpha 001 who decides to rethink strategy in light of plans for this new Serpentor. And finally, in the High Sierras, Wade Collins is at Snake Eye's Cabin in the Woods and receives a letter from his son, Sean, telling him about his friends at the Chaplin Assistance Motor Pool, which makes him think that he needs to go pay him a visit. Now, back to G.I. Joe. When I read this, it seemed very short and breezy, but when I came to write the plot breakdown, it seemed very long. What, what were your high-level thoughts on this one, Tim? Um, one of these, not quite a transition issue, because there is an action scene at the beginning. What struck me about this issue was that it has many callbacks, and um, some comics mm. series do a lot of that, you know, like every time the Joker shows up in a Batman comic, someone, someone, sometimes the Joker refers to like a crowbar or like missing a sidekick or like harming uh, Batgirl. And um, and G.I. Joe sometimes does that and a lot of times doesn't. But with Scarlet having Snake Eyes uh, throw down, fix his max, masks uh, with a letter to someone who's not quite a Joe, but kind of a Joe. Mm -hmm. Also, that refers to a letter from Snake Eyes, mm -hmm. both physically an object, a letter that Snake Eyes wrote, and also an issue. And all this talk mm. about Serpentor. Uh, and even, uh, hey, Laura, we have, you have to get Snake Eyes again, right? Which, which was only uh, yeah. 20 issues ago, which doesn't seem a long, like a long time ago, but I guess at this point it was. Um, and then the bit about... Um, <laughs> Uh, not repeating how Snake Eyes died, you know, falling with a grenade. Yeah, and and in the original issue that Snake Eyes did fall and die was also featured 
Serpentor's return as, yeah. as well. Um, and then lastly, so, I, I wrote uh, this sort of the largest uh, in in my notes. I wrote, I feel like this is the first issue where Larry Hama knows the series is ending in referencing the letter huh. from Snake Eyes in issue 155. So I don't know the timeline mm, of when this yeah, issue was yeah, written yeah. or when IDW told Hama the news or when Hama absorbed from the internet the, the rumor uh, that the license wasn't continuing past December 22 at IDW. But, and, and certainly Hama was going to bring something back for issue 300. But this now feels like lining things up because the series is ending. And how did the series end last time? Mm. With a letter from Snake Eyes. Uh, and so this, this has an additional uh, resonance to it, which I like. Whereas when we talked about this an issue ago and maybe two issues ago, bringing back Serpentor, I wasn't convinced that that was a good idea or, or an interesting idea. And, you know, it's, ideas aren't interesting or uninteresting. It's the execution, right? So... It's like, no, 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 make make a new character or like clone someone else, right? It's like, but Mindbender has enough of an explanation that I feel like it's earned that, okay, Hama's laid track for himself that this could be interesting and fun and worthy of what cynically Mm -hmm. you might call a retread and not cynically you might call uh, a variation on a theme. Yeah, and another callback, I guess, is Mindbender going going and sort of collecting dna which we we lost which we saw previously in in issue 49 um i yeah i initially i felt you know reading this and my first read through i thought it it feels differently like definitely like a middle issue it's 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 much less of a one and done versus a lot of the issues that we have been seeing uh, recently and and the the phrase that came to, to mind which is probably unfair you know, on on a more detailed reading, but but afraid was was sort of slightly treading water, because some some of the elements that 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 we're seeing aren't necessarily completely new as as well in the way that the payoff at the very end of the the last issue where she's sort of telling Scarlet that that she's got a problem, that kind of come you know that doesn't get filled you know followed up directly. It's it's sort of a, a slight aside almost sort of it's not segueing direct you know di- directly she sort of follows it up on the on the on the plane um almost as if that original conversation hadn't quite happened and and similarly dr mindbender's plan to to capture snake eyes and all of his other shenanigans has been it, it sort of seems to have had a few runs at it so so we've had very similar scenes three times now we had we had the, the Billy Penn issue in two two eight seven where he sort of start he's in the casino with Laura and he sort of starts alluding to his schemes and then again we had Laura and and Mindbender where he's sort of filling out a little bit more detail of those schemes and 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 in this issue it's even more detail of those those uh, schemes and it <laughs> kind of a parallel in my mind which is niche is the Adam Buxton podcast where annually he catches up with his former a comic partner and, and director Joe Cornish and over the last few years they have a, a, a Christmas special and Joe Cornish reveals a little bit more of a specific anecdote uh, where he met Tom Cruise and they call it the the doodle story um, where they just 
he just fills him in on a little bit more detail of exactly what happened in that story each each time and it's just sort of been <laughs> been drawn out um for for somewhat of a somewhat of uh you know just a, this yeah hilarious effect where you get the story and just a tiny bit more detail and you have to wait one more year to to hear the rest of it tangent but but it, but, but it, we're kind of um seeing a little bit more of mindbender's uh, schemes uh, each time we have these uh, these scenes of him and uh and and laura and um la- last issue even he had um that moment where he said that he needed snake eyes to to die and then they they fill that out um in a bit more detail again this this time so last last issue um mindbender said that they had to kill snake eyes and she kind of pulled a face kind of indicating that she wasn't completely happy with with that and uh, again here she says, um, is it necessary to kill the original Snake Eyes for this plan to work? That's the whole point. It tips the whole balance of power. And uh, he asks, would it be a problem? She says, no, no, not a problem at all. It doesn't matter at all that instead of leaving me for dead in that corridor, he carried me to safety and left me where our medics could find me. What did you say? I didn't catch that. Oh, I was just nattering inconsequentialities. So we get a bit more of that that filled in. Sorry, Tim. I feel like I've been monologuing. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. I was, I was about to. I had, I had a, I had a DC Comics uh, comparison that was probably going to take me a good monologue to explain. I, I agree with you that Mindbender and Laura having this discussion on on a couple of levels uh, repeats things that we have seen, and I think a little of that is writing for a monthly comic book instead of writing for a graphic novel. Mm -hmm. And this comic book has always been written for the monthly comic book. You know, the beginning of every scene, all the Joes like say everyone else's name out loud, Mark. And the thing that sticks out at me. So the path is clear to uh, replicate the most formidable G.I. Joe Commando Ninja into an entire core of Cobra Ninja Assassins. Um, So immediately I thought, it reminds me of the Cobra Ninja Viper, that mail-away action mm-hmm. figure from the late 80s, question mark, which is the recolor of the original like a Storm Shadow, but in... bigger. Yes. And because before the Night Creepers, there was, if you followed, there was no story sort of, you know, for those Ninja Vipers, but you'd have, Cobra would have a bunch of ninjas, not just one ninja. And here, Cobra would have a bunch of ninjas. I trust Hama, if this happens before issue 300, to make it interesting. I would be sad if it sort of happens and like six of them come out of a clone tank in 299 and then there's a truncated fight in 300 and it feels like there was no time. So I think I sort of hope it doesn't happen or maybe just one evil snake eyes pops out of the tank before (laughs) someone um, breaks the tank. Speaking of truncation, this is sort of an unfair and lazy uh, uh, swipe, and I apologize to our most sensitive fans who this might offend. But I can imagine Snake Eyes versus Evil Snake Eyes on the cover of an issue of Devil's Due in 2004, and it being really cool, but also silly and sort of not not earned. And uh the the dc comics analogy that i'm going to make is uh since we were talking about free comic book day uh, the the big event about to happen in dc is a miniseries called the dark crisis and it's trying to top 
sort of all the other big events like this, uh, Final Crisis, maybe Infinite Crisis, I'm not sure, Dark Knight's Death Metal, I'm going out of order, and the original Infinite on Crisis, uh, Infinite on Crisis Earths. <laughs> crisis on Infinite. Crisis. Infi- <laughs> <laughs> uh, crisis on Infinite Earth, thank you. So my problem is that, um, so Grant Morrison introduced the multiversity several years ago, this this cool, weird miniseries. And the idea was there are 52 different Earths. And each one is, most of them are ones that we've seen in like an Elseworlds special or uh, this variation of a character in one sort of quote, what if story. Uh, well, we can put them on that Earth. So if we want to go there and have more adventures, we can actually go and they have a place as opposed to some miniseries or special that was just a, a one-off in publishing. And there's a scene at the beginning of uh, Dark Knight's Death Metal, where someone's holding a map or describing the multi- the multiverse, the multiversity, and they're they're, they're either holding a, a piece of paper or they're describing it, and they say, "Imagine fifty two Earths on this map," and then they flip it over, and the back is black, and they say, "This is the dark multiverse." <laughs> and I thought, I thought, no, that doesn't make sense to me. That would just be a fifty third Earth, or let's go back a step. The multiverse isn't 52 circles on a piece of paper. It's it's a floating cube. That's that's a three-dimensional map. And the the Earths aren't circles, they're spheres. And they spread out from the middle, from Earth 0 or Prime or Earth E, whatever our Earth is, or whatever the main DC Earth is. Um, or you draw 52 circles on top of each other, and they're all vibrating at a different frequency, and they you know take up the same position in space, but in, in different dimensions. Whatever it is, that sort of two-dimensional expansion of that concept, like didn't follow the expansive logic of that concept for me. Um, it's like, wait, are there 52 evil Earths now? Or is there one? Like, it, it just seems silly to me. And I'm coming back to G.I. Joe, I promise. So in Dark Crisis, uh, I've read uh, Justice League 75, Where They Die, which sets up the free comic book day comic, which sets up the road to Dark Crisis, which sets up Dark Crisis number one. And in it, some villains are able to attack the heroes because, uh, quote, the dark, which is, I think, some evil or a power from the beginning of time or the original crisis is coming or something. And it doesn't actually seem either like linearly an escalation of previous crisis stories or more than linearly, like parabolically more of a crisis. It seems like all the nouns have just been swapped around in the sentence and it's just the next one. And I don't feel that the stakes are higher. They're just telling me the stakes are higher. Mm. Um, And so let me get back to G.I. Joe. Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow are the best ninja on Mm -hmm. Earth. They're the best fighters. And they're already on a team that has the best of the best, right? And so when Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow fight Red Ninjas... I feel like they should be like second best or third best or 10th best, right? Or if they're 20 red ninjas, 10th through 21st best. And we tend to see all these stories where, you know, the red ninjas are taken out pretty quickly. And so if you now have this story where we might get an army, quote unquote, of Snake Eyes clones... I feel like that scene where they fight Snake Eyes or they fight Snake Eyes and all the Joe ninjas, you know, Throwdown and Dawn and Helix, like that would need to be a triple sized issue. Because what you're now saying to me is that 
the the best fighter on earth is fighting himself in multiples. I don't, this term isn't quite right for it, but it's like the stakes creep, you know, like the next DC event for the summer. I'm being told it's a bigger deal, but I don't feel that it's a bigger deal. I feel like it's kind of just the same thing again. <laughs> it's like, no, but this time the entire Justice League died. It's like, well, I wasn't like, they all just sort of disappeared at the end of issue 75 of Justice League and like, they'll be back in the middle of the story or at the end of the story. So I'm worried that if there's a scene upcoming where Snake Eyes or other Joes fight a bunch of evil Snake Eyes, that it'll... Uh, remember the Scorpion? Uh, all the all the ninjas mm. on top of each I other? Tried, with, I try um, not to, but yeah, every so often it does come back. Uh, so, uh, it was issue uh, 127 in the Andrew Wildman run at Marvel. Uh, and then it makes the cover. So Firefly has been revealed as a ninja and he's like the stinger on top of mm. like that was a little silly and very, very cool when I read it at the time. But I think some readers probably just found it silly. And, you know, some of that hinges on the artist pulling it off, the amount of space they're given, the actual fight choreography that's being written and and the dialogue. And as soon as I saw this panel of like, uh, an entire core of Cobra Ninja assassins. I wasn't thinking like, oh, they're going to infiltrate the pit and like, it'll be a high stakes. Haha, that's the name of the story. <laughs> um, battle with the Joes, like, you know, issue 50 in reverse. I thought, is this going to be like a scorpion of ninjas? <laughs> in like a, You know, like a, a six page scene in like one room at Revanche or in in Mindbender's lab at the casino on the island. So it it could be fanish and not work. It could be authentic and and well done. It could sort of not happen because there's not enough time. Uh it could turn out really cool and really well. It could turn out okay and sort of a mixed bag. Um but I, I'm a little concerned about the idea from the get-go. Yeah. Mm, yeah, we'll that's my very long take on, <laughs> on this one word balloon of dialogue in this scene. Uh, I had I had something that sort of slightly niggled me about uh, this one as as well, which was that uh, Doctor Mindbender's plan is to capture Snake Eyes and clone him and kill him. Um, so why does it matter to him if he has the data on Snake Eyes from the original brainwave scanner if he's just going to capture him again? Because surely he can re-extract memories if that's what he, he needs. He doesn't know that the original Snake Eyes is dead. So it seems that it only matters that he has the original memories because the original Snake Eyes is dead uh, and that means that there's then a route to bringing the original Snake Eyes back, maybe as a clone, maybe something else, with his own memories. If that makes sense, it it, yes, it shouldn't matter to Mindbender. Yeah. It only matters because of knowledge that the reader has that he doesn't have. Yes, thank you. This was a thought that was mostly formed in my mind when I read this scene, and it was like, wait, Mindbender doesn't really need the body, does he? I think he needs the body because if they can get, whether it's Throwdown or Dawn or a person, that creates drama for Laura when she can confront, let's say, Throwdown again. And that is a scene I, I look forward to reading. But 
Mindbender seems to be acting a little out of uh, story logic here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I think possibly possibly you could no prize it. My half-hearted attempt would be that the original brainwave scanner with the memories of Snake Eyes is somehow superior still to Dr. Mindbender's efforts to recreate that same sort of functionality. So the kind of the level of lifelike memory that can be stored from brainwave scanner number one is is better than what he would be able to extract on his newer brainwave scanner. So that's why uh, it is useful to have those backups. My no prize was that the trauma of unleashing evil Snake Eyes clones on the Joes would be increased if it happened while Snake Eyes was captive. That if the Joes are just having lunch and evil Snake Eyes show up, there's sort of hope. Like, well, Snake Eyes, Throwdown and Snake Eyes are here. Let's all stop them. But the scene I'm imagining is something more like the Joes are in this lab. Mm. Snake Eyes is tied up like he is on the cover of yearbook three. And evil Snake Eyes is are popping out of a tank. And so the Joes, A, don't have, I keep saying Snake Eyes like it's actually him. And I think in, I think half the time right now, I mean Throwdown and half the time I mean Dawn. Um, but they don't have the help mm. of that character. And also it's upsetting to see their uh, their their teammate uh, in jail. Yeah, yeah. In a and I guess there's, there's, yeah, potential that they could create these clone Snake Eyes in advance, yeah, of having the original Snake Eyes captured or killed, that they don't have to necessarily be completely connected. He doesn't, because he's got the original memories that they he could potentially try and create clones in advance of um, getting him, yeah. I also, I also wonder. So, Mindbender has three plans, and the third one—heavens no! This is another project altogether. I am guessing that when Hama wrote this, Hama didn't know what it would be, <laughs> because Hama, as his as his other Facebook page tells us, uh, has been making it up as he goes along for his entire life. Uh, for his entire professional career of writing comics, and and I'm fine with that. And it 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 might come to no, it might nothing might whether there was an issue 301 or not, nothing might come of that. Or you know the Joes crash this party in the next uh, seven issues, take care of problems projects one and two, and then you know several years down the line, someone someone says, oh Mindbender. What was your? I've got this plan. This my this this project from a long time ago. And the asterisk would say, "See issue two ninety two. See, I I read that line slightly differently. Where he's, uh, heavens no, this is another project altogether. Heavens no, this is another project altogether. Um, that um he um sort of then segues into talking about correcting his mistake with Serpent. Or so I read that as being unconnected to Snake Eyes, but moving into the Serpent or plan with his oh, new okay. Serpentor yeah. DNA. So um, he's he's creating a new Serpentor with some, some new DNA in the mix, which includes a couple of names. Shaka Zulu. He was the founder of the Zulu kingdom from 1816 to 1828. He was one of the most influential monarchs for the Zulu, responsible for reorganizing reorganizing the military into a formidable force. 
by a series of wide-reaching and influential reforms. Uh, we've also got Marshal Georgi Konstantinovich Zukov, 1896-1974. He was a Soviet general and marshal of the Soviet Union. During World War II, Zukov oversaw some of the Red Army's most decisive victories, including the Battle of Berlin, which resulted in the defeat of Nazi Germany and the end of the war in Europe, as well as uh, the real Genghis Khan, which we'll get onto in a bit, I think. Uh, maybe we can get onto it mm-hmm. now, because so, so when I read this scene, uh, so in this flashback... With rounded corners, let's not forget. <laughs> oh yeah no yeah yeah i was very excited i was very excited by those rounded corners uh Einmender says from this i can extract the dna of genghis khan and this scene appears to be about either the real burial place of genghis khan or an- another burial place of genghis khan and when i read this i thought wait i thought genghis khan was in the original snake eyes and i thought <laughs> I, I i thought wait wasn't wasn't genghis khan in the original crisis on internet <laughs> i thought i'm pretty sure that genghis khan is in serpentor in the animated series mm-hmm. and uh in arise serpentor arise uh part three and uh part four you know duke is heading to the burial site of Genghis Khan to head off Cobra, right? Because what we get in sort of half of an issue in 49, we get in much of the five-parter Arise, Serpentor, Arise, which kicks off season two in September of 1986. And then I thought, well, surely if it's in the animated series, it's definitely mentioned in the toy file card. Mm. And the toy file card mentions Napoleon, Caesar, Hannibal, Attila the Hun, and that's it. Uh, and then I thought, okay, um, before I record, before we record this episode, Mark is definitely going to have checked issue 49. Mm-hmm. So is Genghis Khan already in Mindbender? Oh, excuse me. <laughs> is Genghis Khan in Final Crisis? Um, yeah, so issue 49 is quite a dense uh, issue. They sort of open up uh, with Destro and, and Mindbender robbing an Egyptian tomb and in the helicopter that, that they go into as, and as they escape from the tomb, they are asked, did you run into trouble down there? And Destro replies, nowhere near the trouble we had in finding and stealing the great, Gen- the great Khan's bones from the Uzbekistani desert. And uh, indeed one later on, they're looking at one of the tanks in in the the laboratory and uh, there is one labeled genghis khan so the idea would be that definitely back in 49 uh, genghis khan uh, was part of the original serpentor mix i think what they are alluding to in the script here is essentially they're, they're, they're saying that the genghis khan that they used for serpentor number one was not the real uh, Genghis Khan that they they found him in Mongolia um, so they say it was very convenient for the tomb to be in Mongolia but they think that he must have died somewhere else that died during his last campaign to subdue the Western Zia 
And so they're they're sort of suggesting that actually it's the Gobi Desert is the genuine real place of the actual Genghis Khan, and and that they've only been able to actually find the location from the the shifting sands that have uncovered uh, the the rubble. The the oddity for me though is that they suggest that the tomb in Mongolia was covered by riverbeds for hundreds of years, and that made DNA recovery in possible because it looked like they were kind of using his dna in that original mix although i guess it was just a bare skeleton so uh so so maybe maybe they stuck the the skeleton in there but it didn't have any dna on it was was jack skeleton in crisis on (laughs) whereas this new this new genghis khan it it does look a little bit skeleton-fied but uh they they're able to find a uh, a hair which would contain the DNA for Genghis Khan. So, uh, yeah, they say the dry desert air and the composition of the soil naturally mummified the remains so that they were able to extract DNA. So, so I, yeah, long story short, they thought they had Genghis Khan for Serpentor back in 49, but they were misinformed. Um, and and it's actually uh, this, this new discovery that they've made that they're going to put into the brand new Serpentor on steroids mix. So I was thinking about this sort of historical revision in the story of G.I. Joe. And I wonder if somewhere along the way, Hama, who reads newspapers and books, saw that uh, archaeologists or historians have adjusted since 1986, Mm. where they thought Genghis Genghis Khan's final remains laid. And then in writing this issue, Hama thought, oh, I could incorporate that uh, additional historical accuracy into this story. Or you know, just if he just did his own research and thought, you know, I want to like do the Genghis Khan thing again, because mm. maybe it was a little bit vague originally. You know, I sort of wonder in writing an issue like this, you know, I don't I don't think Hama's going back and reading all of issue 49, but maybe. Uh, and I think he's relying on on you know editorial, um, and to to some extent his own memory, and also like well if I get something slightly wrong I can no prize it away because like this all has to be flexible. This this does feel like Hama the researcher, mm. or Hama the the well read person who is including information because it adds authenticity. You know, like a couple issues ago when the Joes. Uh, shoot that drone from the back of a vamp you know mm-hmm. like and i thought is this a made-up thing it's like, no that's not a made-up thing like hama is paying attention to the news and military changes in the last couple of years and the story called for a drone and it's fun to have the vamp so the vamp launches a drone because that's kind of the vehicle that would do it nowadays or one, one of them I'm just looking at the uh, Wikipedia page. There is a page called The Tomb of Genghis Khan, which uh, has all sorts of speculation about where he could actually be. It's unknown and an area of much speculation and research. The site remains un- undiscovered, though the it is strongly implicated. The most likely location is somewhere in the vicinity of the Mongol sacred mountain of Birkin Khaldun in the Kenti mountain range. Hmm. But uh, according to the tradition of the Yuan dynasty, 
part of the Mongol Empire that ruled over China. All of the great Khans of Mongols are buried in the area around Genghis Khan's tomb. The site's name in Chinese was Kinian Valley. The concrete location of valley is never mentioned. So, so all sorts of uh, all sorts of rabbit hole of historical research you could uh, go on to <laughs> to read to, to 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 bring it to life. Yeah, there we go. So, so that is what's happening over on Cobra Island. Should we shift scene to a, a helicopter somewhere near Transcarpathia? Yeah, what a good scene. <laughs> I guess it starts it starts off with uh, the whole dawn sort of opening up and uh, talking about these memories and uh, feelings that uh, that she's been been having. And so yeah, we we sort of speculated on that ourselves about uh, you know is there any sort of con- confusion there? And it seems that you know they're they're a little bit powerful, disturbing memories, and uh, and also feelings for for Scarlet as well. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll skip ahead to maybe my one of my favourite lines of dialogue, actually, which is uh, what's he called? Um, Mongoose. Mongoose. Mongoose says, "I'm not privy to most of what has been discussed here, but this is making me feel awkward as hell." <laughs> yeah, that was that was one of my that tied for favourite line. I was I was heartened that that we've come back emotionally to this subplot that Dawn is having a hard time that she's talking about it, that she's talking about it in front of other people. And now she's talking about it in front of Throwdown. Mm-hmm. And later in the issue, she says, or in this issue, uh, maybe a good place for them would be in Sean. And I nodded when I read that. But then I also thought, well, it's still two people's memories in one person. That's still hard. And a thought that struck me is like, you've got these, you've got these memories that maybe don't belong in your, your head. So uh, so maybe you want them taken out, but you know why bring Sean into it? Maybe he doesn't want Snake Old Snake Eyes' memories bunged in in his old noggin as as well. You, you know. Yeah i I think I think with Sean writing a letter to his dad, th- there's another attempt made at positioning Sean as the next Snake Eyes as sort of uh, family that you know he's he he could be. I mean, and he says Scarlet is like a like a an alternate mom, um, and I don't I don't think that's enough groundwork for Sean taking the original Snake Eyes' memories back and becoming Snake Eyes, re-becoming Snake Eyes, the new Snake Eyes. But I think if you're freaking out in a helicopter, you might say that, and then maybe later on everyone says, "Oh no, 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 that's that's not, that's not the best idea." <laughs> it's not the best idea. You know, I I think the expected or fanish decision would be to clone a body. And put the memories into them, and then say that that's Snake Eyes, and Snake Eyes is back from the dead, and maybe that Snake Eyes then immediately gets killed, and it's hard for us all over again. I don't think Larry Hama would do either of those because I take him at his word when he has said in the letters page two or three times since Snake Eyes died, Snake Eyes is not coming back. Mm. I don't think he's being cheeky. I, um, I think he's dancing around this because it's an interesting topic, and you know if it's if this is too like wacky and we've it's like wait, wait, resurrection and brainwaves. It's like no, this we've had this since Doctor Venom in issue, you know, mm-hmm. seventeen or fifteen. And he's um, he said things in the letter pages that wouldn't ever happen, which have as well. So <laughs> yes, yes. The, what I think was more likely to happen is by issue three hundred, the memories get taken out of Dawn and put into a computer, <laughs> and 
the computer's turned off or somehow released and Granny Demon says something meaningful and they're sitting at a photo or a shrine and they talk about sort of finally laying to rest Snake Eyes, mm. that he's at peace because he's not, quote, haunting Dawn. This, this is the thought that sort of just occurs to me as well, that we've we've got this end of the era at, at 300, at the end of the IDW era with, with issue 300. But but then there's always potential for whoever picks up the, the license to want to keep on going with this same continuity and 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 not have new continuity but not have the the baggage of of everything idw along along with it so trying to take the best of both worlds and they could well want to have the original snake eyes so there there might be something in there in terms of uh, that we end up with a, a snake eyes or the or the mechanism to have a snake uh, a snake eyes to be created as as part of this end of 300 or maybe it's it's Sean, it's Throwdown. At the end of issue 300, we know it's Sean, it's Throwdown. But he's got Snake Eyes' memories, and then starting in a new issue number one, no one ever calls him Sean or Throwdown mm-hmm. again. So you and I know that it still fits, but new people wouldn't be thrown exactly, off. Exactly, exactly. Any any number of permutations of, uh, of that same thing. One of my overall thoughts about reading the IDW comics is how is Hama a different writer in the 2000 teens and 2020s than he was in the 80s and 90s. And our, our co-host, uh, Jay Cordray, for our uh, Devil's Do episodes, has commented a few times, and I've commented a few times, that um, when a few Joes have cried in the Devil's Do comics, uh, we, don't, we don't think that it is in character. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember how many times someone cried in the Marvel mm-hmm. run. But I noticed that in this issue, Dawn's tearing up, when she talks about how confusing it is to have these memories in her head. And then Scarlet says, uh, I'm sorry, I'm finding this pretty upsetting as well. And I'm trying to remember, is anyone? Uh, uh, Wade Collins is tearing up when he's reading the letter at the end. Yeah, third to last panel. And I think back to uh what was the issue it was, was it two months before snake hunt it was the the wordless issue that was the memorial of mm-hmm. all the fallen characters someone wrote about that issue later in the letters page and hama indirectly referred to how difficult that issue was to write he said something like uh you, you know you're you're staring at a blank page and the memories come back and the tears start flowing and i think in a in a good way this issue authentically deals with some emotions without uh, sidestepping them in the favor of, you know, more whiz-bang, action figures, vehicles, action, and plot. And I find that really gratifying. And I have found in the latter half of my life, you know, when I'm at like a wedding, it's not just funerals. When I'm at a wedding, is that my my second cousin's daughter's bat mitzvah a couple years ago? And, you know, we weren't very close, but it was it was a beautiful affair and I'm not, I'm not religious, uh, but you know, some family was there and I thought it was very moving and I teared up even though I'm not sort of sad for her that she's becoming, you know, a grown up. And so I like the incidences in this issue of characters tearing up and Scarlett saying, I'm sorry, I'm finding this pretty upsetting as well. Mm-hmm. 
I was almost te- that's that scene in the helicopter. I was almost tempted to stick it in error detected, but it's, it's not. It's not an, an error out and out error. It's just a slight oddity, which is just Dawn talking so openly in front of Wotan uh, about you know the behind the scenes story of her her memories and and Sean as well. Uh, where she says, if anyone should be the repository of those memories, it should be Sean. If only we could capture Dr. Mindbender's brainwave scanner, we might be able to rectify the situation. That is if that Sean wants to take on the burden. That's all, uh, you know, Snake Eyes' identity is meant to be hush-hush, top secrets. They've gone to elaborate plans to kind of make sure that Cobra doesn't know that Snake Eyes is dead and, and that Sean is the the new Snake Eyes. Um, so it's, it seemed a bit strange to be talking quite so openly in front of Wotan and hit for him potentially to get that knowledge, although that problem is very quickly taken off the board. Right. I thought this too. I thought, wait, this is very personal to be talking about in front of a prisoner. And I thought two things. One, not that the Joes would do this, but are the Joes just going to put a bullet in this guy's head by the end of the issue? <laughs> They know it doesn't matter what they say in front of him. And then, yes, story-wise, it gets taken care of. Uh, But I'm going to no-prize this away as helicopters are really loud and the doors Mm -hmm. open. And even though physically, if, you know, Mongoose and Stalker can hear it, so could Wotan. But I'm going to no-prize this away as they're rotor blades and he can't really hear. Yeah, it... He's, he's got he's got a mask over his ears, yeah, sort yeah. of. You know, as his, his bank robber mask. And it, it's, it's slightly exacerbated by the dialogue... So Dawn and Dawn and Scarlet are sat next to each other, and and Mongoose is opposite them on the other side, further away than than Wotan is. So so if Mongoose could hear it, you'd think that that Wotan could also hear it. But but Wotan says, "Ha ha ha ha! All of your concerns and worries are moot." And I thought initially that that might mean like you know them worrying about you know personal issues and working them through and being upset. But it could quite easily just be Stalker's previous bit of dialogue, which is, you know, what's wrong with the prisoner? Is he choking? Worrying that he's choking. That is moot. But um, yeah, either way, it's still a bit stranger. Strange. But um, yeah, Wotan, I think, must be the most completely inept suicide bomber that that I've ever encountered in the pages of a, a comic book. Um, <laughs> he, he seems to have it all in uh, all in his the palm of his hand. You know, blow literally. He's got a grenade literally in the palm and, of his hand, and he just throws it throws it away. He, I think he is. I think he is thrown away. He is thrown away. He, he just gets got a little bit overexcited and starts uh, telling everyone his plans that that he could destroy them all rather than just destroying them all. Um, this was this was a funny um, parallel because he's being so exposit. You know, he's being so expositional and mindbender before and after this scene is being so expositional. You know, like well, well, Laura, let me tell you about all of my plans. <laughs> He was like, "Look, look, I've got, I've got Semtex in my back, and look, look, I've got a, I've got a tooth with a death detonator." <laughs> of course, you know they grab it open, but I love that. I do. They sort of redeem it because I love the sequence where then Mongoose just grabs him, Stalker, pull that tooth. Which one? And this is my favourite line of dialogue: "Take them all out, hold him steady." <laughs> And then, it, then that's that d- delicious moment. He's bit down on his 
Oh, well, actually before that, Stalker just, just yanking out the teeth. Nope, not the right one. Keep at it. <laughs> keep at it. And uh, keep at it. He, he just bit me clear to the bone. He's been chomped down on. Urgh, got it. I I sort of imagined Hama smiling to himself with that Stalker line about, you know, take them all out. Not that one. Not that one. <laughs> because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's mean. It's painful. It's funny. This is a bad guy. You know, this is a, a comic that sort of straddles the PG, PG-13 line. And we want we want to see bad guys punished. And Hama might be making it up as he goes along. But I, I imagine when he introduced this subplot, he thought at the beginning, like, Wotan's either going to survive this story or he's not. Like that he even if he didn't make the decision, he thought about the possibility. So we should. You want to shift to the the, the High Sierras, yeah, and uh, Fort Wadsworth. Yeah, do you want to take take. I mean, we discussed it a little bit all, already, but um, so so yes, yeah, obvious parallels to to one five five and and this little picture of of Sean in the chaplain's motor pool and, and the bond that he's having with uh, his comrades there. I don't know if I've got masses to to uh, to add, but uh, but I'll ask a question which maybe you can try and address in in your thought additional thoughts. Which was, what's the element do you think that makes Wade decide that he needs to go and see Sean? What are the crisis on infinite chance? <laughs> um, uh, infinite timbers. Is it timber three or four? Uh, I mean, artificially, I think it's the imminent three hundred. But in in story, you know, Wade Wade has has always come back around. I don't know. I this this might sort of seem wrote by this point but maybe hama doesn't know and it could go in one of several directions there's going to be some action thing you know like uh wade shows up talks to his son and then there's an exciting fight and you know wade's been a fighter and so we see you know this i know the generation the ages don't quite make sense but we see these sort of two generations of characters fighting some bad guys here okay here here's here's my story logic for it Dawn is having a crisis, and even if Sean, his letter seems fine, and he's not having a crisis, but he's having a crisis because he's injured, you know, which, which Snake Eyes is, is, is Snake Eyes. So I take this as his dad reads this letter and interprets it as this letter is a little bit of a cry for help, even because the letter says everything's mm. fine. Yeah, you, he's, further than that, he says, so you see, everything turned out for the best. Yeah, I mean, you know, he was terribly injured uh, in space. I think this is also, this is not a story reason. This is a this is an exterior reason. This is a, a Larry Hama writing reason. I think Hama might have realized that Sean needs some attention because just when he was about to become more of a character, Dawn showed up. Mm. And, you know, she, it's, you know, it's like, how many Robins are there? How many Batgirls are there? It's like, well, for these five years, this is Robin and this is Batgirl. And this other former Batgirl is going to have a different name. But now we're going to do a team-up book. <laughs> and it's called Batgirls. And it's these two Batgirls. And also the former, former Batgirl is the coach, right? It's like on the radio. I think it was time for Sean to have something significant to do or to happen to him. We've gone through everything on my list of talking points so apart from uh this in capital letters no letters page again yeah uh i i'll i'll 
my 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 guess is once again that um, you know the book's got some scheduling challenges. The the letters page is always the last thing to do. It's kind of a pain, and uh, it's it's easy to drop it. And at this point, even though the readers may want it, you know the letters page doesn't make them any money. And maybe if they run one more ad. Uh, they make some money. Mm. Let's get get some get someone else to buy uh, animated adventures because yeah. that seems to be the ad that keeps <laughs> replacing the letters page. The same one. Yes, the same one. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me, for me, I think it's it's a key part of the value proposition. I've said this before of of buying a monthly. If you wait for the trade, it's it can be cheaper. You often get all of the covers in the back, and and it's you know a satisfying read to have it all in one go. If you're getting it monthly, you're getting the story, but you're also getting a few extras that you don't typically get in the trade. And what the the main thing is that you get that one extra page, which is the the letters column. And uh, when you when you're getting it, I think you're we're we're missing out on something from the monthly. I will admit, I have never enjoyed the IDW letters pages as much as I enjoy the Marvel pages because the Marvel pages the font is smaller and a little more compressed, and I feel like we always got two or three or four mm-hmm. letters and in the idw letters page there's always a long introduction and one or two letters and sometimes a little negative space at the end where there's just some weight of the page but that said tom waltz this is about to end we really we need this interaction i need to hear from hama even if he's just saying you know thanks keep reading even if it's your gentle uh sort of post post stan lee Carnival Barker, like, wasn't that a great issue, everyone? <laughs> you know, thanks to Lethal Larry and Shannon Gallant and, you know, fantastic Jay Brown and get ready for part three next month. It's like, I, I don't need that part, but that's that's part mm-hmm. of it. Uh, I really need this right now because this thing's wrapping up and I'm sad. I, I do, I do. in case any of the fine folks at IDW are listening to this, I do want to offer, maybe no one has written letters in the last two months. I know one person has. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I I think that's I think that's much less likely, but maybe it's not all on the overworked editors. But even I would say even if there are no letters, I could just use three paragraphs of padding from Tom Waltz and then like one more panel from this issue reproduced in black and white and then a little blurb about next month that isn't very specific. Mm-hmm. Like even if we're not going to have dinner, offer me an appetizer. <laughs> Leave me a little mint on the pillow. Uh, tell me there's going to be a mint yeah, on the yeah, pillow, yeah. even if there's no. And but we do get next month cover the the Freddie Williams cover. Um, next month we get Serpentor on the cover, and we speculated again last uh, last time. Why why do we think that Freddie Williams's five part cover got bumped because this was originally uh, solicited, and I think it's now much clearer that this is a you know this. This cover is kind of a reveal of the return of Serpentor, and and now it's actually it's not just a you know this crazy, uh, oh sorry, not just a fancy nice looking joined up set of covers. It's actually having a a, a link into what's happening in in the story in in some way now. So yeah, interesting that that's actually happening that the these covers are with the delay they're they're tied tied up with what's happening in the story so i wonder could possibly at one point it have been the idea that that this serpentor story might have happened 
earlier? Or could it have been that maybe they saw these covers and thought, hmm, is there some way of tying the story to the covers? Or, or, or it was just completely coincidental. I wonder what, how that interconnectivity worked. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who's who's the old man who brings the food? Uh, so yeah, we're getting into I Spy territory now. Oh, let me before okay before we do that, let me just um do uh, uh three quick nods to uh Shannon Gallant and Maria Keane. You already referred to uh great body language on the cover. That that follows through with Mindbender's pose in the golf cart on pages uh one and two. The way that he's got his foot up mm-hmm. and uh you know Sh- Shannon Gallant. All these vehicles are hard to draw. A curved golf cart like that, very hard to draw. <laughs> uh, that's that's with with no payoff, right? Like that's not a difficult to draw GI Joe vehicle that people will say is cool. That's an ugly vehicle. You draw it well, and it's an ugly. Vehicle. <laughs> Great bit of storytelling on uh, page seventeen, where uh, in the first, the second panel, where we're getting this letter, and this might be in the script. Uh, but we see Sean writing in the foreground, Stalker and Scarlet in the middle ground. And there's a window in the wall. And through the window, we see Mongoose and mm-hmm. Dawn um, starting the starting the repairs of the vamp that we carries out in the next page. And this is a, mo- a small thing. And it's not genius. It's just a small, great thing that anytime you have a wall, you can put photos or art on the wall you can put a window on the wall and you can show something happening so just as a way to bring those those two characters back into the scene a little sooner uh that's great and then there's you know great body language on the next page when stalker comes in you have this gag of the motor oil and the uh the, the hood of the vamp uh slamming down and, and actually on the neck even the the next page you got some nice body language them of them hanging out in stalker's office and mongoose is sucking on his his thumb, his poor thumb, he's, you know, <laughs> bitten and then having a the hood of a, a car slamming down on it as well. Uh, but in that panel where they're all hanging out in the office, uh, Sean is is reserved. Mm-hmm. His mm-hmm. body language is the most yeah, reserved. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, and on, on that same same panel uh, there, not only do we have the the, uh, the cover, sorry, the, the wall covered up, using up that space with a couple of pictures of... Biden and Harris, vice president and the president, uh, the yeah. president and the vice president yeah, and the yeah, president. Yeah. Uh, we've also got a uh, a bonsai tree in there as well, which possibly is a little uh, nod to uh, Diana Davis's uh, day job, and and, and mm. was well, well of those little the, the Easter eggs, the covering up the wall with some interesting things, the body language. We're also looking at this panel through a window, which is a, I think a nice touch because if you're in a small space. Just the the layout of where you put the camera, so you can see all of these people in one frame without it looking busy or unnatural or, or whatever. If you just if you have got a window on the wall and and you're back from the window, it's a way of seeing, I guess seeing in almost from an outsider's perspective and and seeing, being able to see, I guess almost the the full the four walls of the of the space of the of the people not being crabbed in. And it is the rever- It is the window that I mm-hmm. mentioned from two pages yeah. ago. Yeah, it's sort of it's sort of an anti Edward Hopper painting because it's not because everyone everyone's looking at everyone else, but but someone's someone's looking out a window. Um, I wanted to nod to a small art thing that I wish had a little more oomph in those three sequential panels with the gag of the motor oil and the hood slamming down, um, Stalker's mustache 
is sort of drawn and sort of not. And I think this is one of those issues where in inking, you know, there are thin lines and medium lines and thick lines. And when you're far away from a character, you might drop out some detail. And to me, we're not far enough away from Stalker that that we drop out the detail of his mustache. I really need to see his mustache. And it's sort of visible, but it also sort of just becomes part of his upper mm-hmm. lip. Tiny nitpick. Yeah. Mongoose's um, mustache also drops out a little bit in those panels too. Yeah. Um, but, but, um, and then, but, 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 um, Wotan's mustache grows in this issue. Last, last <laughs> issue, it was, it seemed to be a bit of a, a, a toothbrush Hitler-esque, you know, thin mustache. And this, and this, uh, this issue is uh, much wider. I wonder if someone said, Hey, that looks a little too much like Hitler. Let's make that a little bigger. Possibly could be. And then, uh, here's a Maria Keen thing, uh, that I like in this panel, we've been talking about where we're looking in through the window. Above Dawn's head and just to the right of her knee and just to the left of Sean's elbow, there's some, uh, it's, it's not Zipatone because I think at this point it's digital. This is in Photoshop, but there's, there's some Zipatone. There's a mechanical tone where you can, you know, back then it was a sticker, like an adhesive. Uh, if you've seen in comic books where there, there are dots in an even pattern or lines Sometimes they're diagonal lines. Sometimes they're thin lines that get thicker. If you think back to the like the 20s in Marvel Transformers, uh, I think Ian Akin and Brian Garvey added a metallic sheen to a lot of Autobots and Decepticons' legs and arms with this kind of thin to thick line zipatone. But uh, just as a as a shadow, I'm gonna. Uh, it's not quite a knockout, but as a shadow knockout, uh, Maria Keen's applying some uh, mechanical tone here, and it also shows up. On page one, two, three, yeah, in, on the five, interior of the page five helicopter. Yes, the interior of the helicopter above Don's head and around uh, Sean's head, and uh, more. Everyone, everyone who draws comics, more mechanical tones, please. Always welcome. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it was on my list of I spies as, as well. I spy, I spy with, with my, my little, little eye. eye. So uh, let's get more into the I spies. So. Uh, you mentioned cold slither on the low, uh, slot machines on the front cover for pay, for cover B. Did you also notice that there's a tease that cold slither would be playing at the Cobra Casino on page one? Oh, okay, yeah. I I was reading page one so quickly. I thought, I thought, welcome, grand opening, Cobra Casino, R E S T A something, and then I just kept going. Yes, that's a good one. Uh, my I spy was going to be the uh, vice presidential and presidential photographs in the office. Uh, but here's a fun one. On page 16, when Wade gets a letter from his son, his his cash shadow covers the address so that Hama need not figure out the actual mailing address of Snake Eyes' cabin mm-hmm. in the in the high Sierra mountains. But there is a return address, which has been drawn in by hand by... Uh, Gallant and uh, Maria Keen. This is not a lettering bit of type. And the address is 210 New York Avenue, Staten Island, New York, 10305. And that is an address for the Gateway National Recreation Area on Staten Island mm-hmm. uh, yep. as part of the National Park Service. Real life Fort Wadsworth location. Um, and then sort of related, uh, this one I don't have a satisfying Look at me, I know how to Google at the end. <laughs> but um, on the next page, this panel we keep referring to, where they're all in the office together, we're looking through the window. 
um, there is a mug on the table. Mm. And oh no, sorry, going back. To, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Sean's holding a mug, but sorry, two pages earlier when he starts his letter, there's a mug on a table with a pair of scissors, two pencils, and a ruler in it, and it has what looks like a seal for Fort Wadsworth with two, I don't know, rifles in a circle. And uh, I looked for a Fort Wadsworth seal or logo Mm. and I couldn't find it. I did not look very hard. This may be um, a, an army seal that I'm not searching for in the right way. This may be a little thing that Gallant sort of dashed off. This may be a very specific reference that Hama sent his artist Mm -hmm. and, you know, was, was pretty small, but uh, I, I appreciated that. And I, I wonder if we'll, you know, see, see it at a convention in, in a year for sale as a thing that someone made, if it is invented. Mm, it's, yeah, it's a little bit, it's a bit scant on the details. We don't, I don't think we see quite enough of it to get a satisfying recreation. Turn hot. Fact-checking Joe here to let you know that artist Shannon Gallant has confirmed that this logo originated in a panel of G.I. Joe issue number three. It is of crossed rifles encircled by swords, and Shannon has attempted to include this several times before, including on Water Towers. Now drop a gimme 50. Yeah, just uh, you talked about the delivery of uh, of that letter to Snake Eyes, and it was delivered uh, by uh, his letter and his food was delivered by Gramps, who runs the local store in the High Sierras. And uh, funnily enough, I uh, was just reading the issue where he appeared, possibly first appeared, I'm not entirely sure, uh, but he was definitely seen back in uh, issue 192. <laughs> when um, the original Snake Eyes and uh, and Scarlet were were driving up to the cabin, that's great. <laughs> uh, I was when I saw this, I thought, is this the Viper, the window wiper from the Viper is coming? It's like, no, no, no. He shows up as a Devil's Do Easter egg because you know it's is this Willie Lumpkin? Like, no, no, no. The mustache is wrong. He doesn't have glasses. I think we we touched on this that there's this Cobra Casino logo which has this sort of delightful element of the uh, the casino chips sort of running in, as in, the, the lines on the yeah, logo, exactly. uh, which uh, looks uh, great and is apparently all SL Gallant's originated. Dr. Mindbender's got this beautiful Cobra buggy, the golf cart you talked about as he's driving around the casino. It's, it's, not, it's not beautiful. It's, it's ugly. ugly. Uh, it's ugly in a beautiful way. And on the back, there is a bumper sticker that says, how's my driving? Continuing on from uh, the, the sort of shenanigans that we've seen the bat BATs getting up to in the background as they've been in the kitchen frying up various <laughs> things there. They're continuing to work away in the background here, doing various things, getting the casino uh, ready, sort of carrying carpets and and laying down uh, material on the, on the on the various gaming tables, uh, the one that that struck me was that we're seeing uh, meat being put into cold storage by by the bats wearing white butchers coats. <laughs> um, everyone uh, wasn't th- there was a Doctor Venom uh, action figure in the 
25th anniversary line. I think he was a convention exclusive and he has a white coat or is, is, is it not going to work with the white sleeves, mm. but you, we can all make this version of a bat with a yeah. white coat. If right? you, if, yeah, if any of the listeners, if, if you can make a, uh, a version of the bat in a white butcher's coat, uh, possibly, uh, hope, you know, ideally carrying some, some meat, um, please do, uh, do share it and, uh, let us know and we'll put it up on these. We've had, We've had bats, battle android troopers. We've had B A A T's, right? Battle is it astro- astronaut android troopers? I'll go with that. Am I making yeah. that up? From- um, and this is the b- <laughs> b- bat, um, the the B-B- butcher battle B B A T butcher battle android and, trooper. And um, uh, when you when you take off its hand, instead of uh, applying a claw, it's it is just a very very sharp kitchen knife. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, uh, next up, we're to, well, we're on bats. So uh, Mei Ling is the revanche casino worker uh, bats. Uh, we saw Betty previously in uh, 289. So so they're, they're continuing on uh, with the, the revanche casino worker bats. They've not forgotten about that. And that's me done. That's that's all of my, um, I suppose. Embedded in the Mindbender riding the golf cart at the beginning is Mindbender enjoying a beverage in a either a real it's either a real pineapple because this yeah. is an island off the coast of florida and puerto rico right or uh, and it's got an umbrella and a straw or it's one of those uh ceramic novelty oversized mugs that's shaped like a pineapple thank you yes we we definitely needed to uh, draw attention to to that as well so uh good one um, so, uh, as we know, uh, there's GI Joe issues are perfect, and we can never find anything wrong, or can we? Error detected. Error detected. No prize incoming. So, uh, my first, my first error detected comes on page eighteen. In this three panel, this is a technical thing. Uh, in in this three panel sequence of the oil getting spilled and the hood slamming down, the hood slams down on Mongoose's hand, but it's covered by a narration mm. box, so you can't see it, and so the joke isn't visible. Mm. And uh, I, I understand from context what's happening, and uh, you know he is sucking on his thumb on the next page. And I think the bandage is from Wotan biting him. But this is one of those cases where, you know, between writing and penciling and lettering, a different amount of information and arrangement of elements, you know, it's like, well, if you move this word balloon over, you're going to cover up someone's head. You can't do that. It's already a little bit of a, it's not a breaking a rule, but it's, it's already a little bit of a uh, thing done less often where some of these narration boxes um, uh, cover the gutter and bridge the gap between one panel and another. So I, w- I was sad that I didn't get to see that thing landing on his hand because that's, that's a little payoff for the scene. And then uh, number, t- uh, but I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to um, forgive letter Anil Yotake because there are so many great sound effects um, and treatments of sound effects uh, in, in recent issues, even this issue, the explosion that takes out Wotan uh, Womp, W-H-O-M-P. There's a great curvature to it. The O gets bigger, so it, it gets 
it's it's sort of medium then big then medium again so it it, it somewhat maps to the sort of rounded nature of the uh, explosion um and then number two um doesn't wade collins have red hair uh i would have said no i, I would have said I, that he's blonde I, like a dirty blonde but when mark bright was drawing all the am i just misremembering this the clones remind uh the clo- the cgs without masks in the mark bright run have red hair and by red i mean it's colored orange oh. um so i know that back in in the vietnam flashbacks he's probably always wearing a hat or or something like that or a bandana but and i understand here that it's graying right it's his the sides of his hair are sort of gray but um i'm seeing sort of a brown a light brown see your and, your classic your classic fred from the the wiggum era is blonde is yes blonde. right you are so, yeah yeah I, I th- yeah yeah maybe return of cobra commander uh era bright is yeah leaning slightly closer to orange but yeah no i, th- I think uh, i think the model is is blonde with old age darkening to brown and, and gray is fine sorry by bright you mean colorist bob shaving uh-huh. during the bright yes, era yes 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 of course um i'm gonna uh there's a precedent for this with you know hawk going from blonde to brown to blonde so or brown again so close enough right the scenes clearly identify who this is so i wasn't confused but uh it is always exciting to see blonde characters in comics because i got blonde hair. <laughs> <laughs> um very good um i had a super pedantic uh, other than the points that we've talked about a little bit before about kind of maybe sort of more storytelling oddities which are less errors and just as you know is- issues with the story um i had a couple of um super nitpicky nitpicks uh on the on the um sit rep page we've got dr mime oh the, the, yeah the typo yeah t- two typos dr mime bender concocts a nefarial n- new plan and uh, once again, we have special thanks to Hez- Hasbro's Ed Lane, Taylor Rio, and Michael Kelly for their invaluable assistance. For their invaluable assistance, I feel like this is uh, of. I, I say this with sympathy. I feel like this is uh, of a piece with no letters page. Of a piece. Uh, get get the get the issue out the door. Yeah. Okay. Right. 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 Yeah. I, I I feel bad even pointing it out because it it's you know these things are easy to to happen in a in a in a rush. As <laughs> as a teacher who grades papers, uh, I don't feel bad pointing it out because <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know the, like I remember when I was young at a certain point in I don't know two thousand five or two thousand fifteen. My, I think my dad said to me, and then a couple years later, my my mother-in-law said to me the same thing, uh, referring to WashingtonPost.com and NewYorkTimes.com, like a couple of typos, uh, sort of, you know, sort of recently, not like huge errors, like a name is confusing because it's spelled wrong, but, but, you know, spelling errors. And, and the implication was this used to sort of never happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, and and my dad always said when I turned in a paper, and he sometimes read them first. He said to me, "The goal is no typos, not 
you're allowed one or two, no typos. And it might make me seem like a jerk to my students. And they, they, they don't follow this rule, but that's my goal. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. But if if IDW editorial is listening, uh, I know it's not a choice we get to vote on. But if this is a thing about there's only 24 hours in the day, I would take a bunch of typos if we could in the sit rep, if we could get a letters page. Yeah, for sure. And not that someone would tell me that the trade off was successful. But if someone did, I would then not <laughs> mention it in the podcast. I would not say there were six typos in the sit rep. I would just say, what a, what a great letters page. And the uh, I, th- I think no, normally I, I would uh, I don't pay a huge enough huge amount of time uh, to to a lot of the wording in the sip sip reps. I wouldn't necessarily have noticed that one if I wasn't didn't if I wasn't specifically doing such a deep dive for for the podcast and and the second one with the special thanks. I probably wouldn't have noticed that had you not pointed out the same mistake uh, last uh, last episode. But uh, part of why I I read that special thanks line is that, you know, once or twice in very small text on a on a thing, I have gotten a special thanks, not not in this G.I. Joe uh-huh. comic, but in, in other things. And uh, I don't read every name in movie credits, but I, I stay for the credits. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm always sort of curious in, in the different licensed comics, you know, like who are the people at Nickelodeon getting thanked in IDW's Ninja Turtles comic? And it, it's probably the same people getting thanked in Transformers comics as in G.I. Joe comics, but maybe not. I find that a little interesting. So my eye does go down there. Uh-huh. It's not because I'm a jerk and I'm looking for typos. Mm. I just, uh, we were talking uh, before the show about um, Doctor Strange and the multiversity of madness and uh, the infinite crisis of Doctor Strange's and um, on on that there was an, an awful lot of special thanks which are you know back normally back to to creators who've, who've created who've done something in the storyline which has influenced uh, the, the script or created a character which has been used in the, in the film it was a yeah very long list and, and for the brief duration it was on the screen I wasn't able to fully digest all of uh, all of the names uh, that's complete random aside, but <laughs> it was fresh, fresh in my mind. I think I saw Brian Michael Bendis um, up there, but not, um, not too many others that, that stuck in my brain. Uh, similarly, it went by too fast for me to catch many of them. As a fan, I like seeing those names. As a, uh, as a, as a person who buys comics to support creators, I'm, I'm a little sad because those people are are getting no money or very little money. Uh, so, uh, come on, Marvel Studios, <laughs> cut cut some checks. Yeah, and then there's a bit of detective Movies. work at the end of it by various articles, sort of trying to figure out why they were thanked, and often the creators aren't entirely sure themselves. Like, I'm not, what well, I'm not entirely sure what I did to get the thanks, I and mean, then they kind of try and work it out. I go, oh right, right, it's that thing. Yeah, didn't the uh, didn't the original Judge Dredd film have a very clear grid of characters and writer and artist? Oh, really? Creators? Okay, I didn't I didn't appreciate that. Yeah, I've, I haven't seen the end of that movie in a long time, but I recall that there are five or six, you know, some of the judges and one of the villains. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, oh, that's good. I, I don't know if those people got any money. Maybe they just got sort of a, a more distinct credit, but. Um, but uh, hey, Marvel Studios, cut some. Tricks. 
We'd normally have hammer time and colloquialisms, but I didn't have anything this week uh, unless you wanted to. Um... Uh, I I can imagine uh, in a in a in in the multiverse on Earth sixteen of you and I doing this podcast, um, you would have you would have called out the piezoelectric detonator that Wotan mentions, oh. and in in googling piezo or piezoelectric uh you, you would say like oh this is like electronics that work from pressure which is sort of what he's explaining anyway that when he bites down on his teeth that the detonator goes off um so not not a homaism specifically but one of these techno yeah. things that i can imagine as co-host of this show you spending a moment on and then we get to see it actually which is the payoff right that he he refers to it he's He's pointing to his mouth, opening his mouth, and then on the next page, there's a, there's a downshot of Mongoose having pulled or Stalker having pulled out a tooth, and we get to see this whole molar with this little bit of electronic thing um, in in the crown. Yes, yes, that does sound like the kind of thing that I would talk about. Quote of the week. 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 I referred to uh, one of uh, my favourite... Oh, actually, I referred to both of my um, favourite line of dialogues, Mongoose talking about uh, feeling awkward and then uh, Stalker <laughs> going and taking out all of the teeth. Was there Was there anything else that, that, that um, struck you from the dialogue? Yeah. On the page where uh, Wotan refers to the bomb, or the detonator, and... Mongoose says, Stalker, pull that, uh, pull that tooth. There's all this yelling and rocking around in the back of the helicopter. And in the final panel, this is a slight up angle, right? The cameras, I mean, they're lift ticket and wild bill are seated. So uh, the camera's at like three feet, right? Looking just a little up, just a few degrees. And uh, this is such a small moment and it doesn't feel like a Larry Hama moment. I really like it. Wild Bill is turning his head back and he's got his hand sort of to the his uh, ear receiver and he's yelling, what's going on back there? <laughs> um, you know, it's it's too loud. You're rocking the boat. <laughs> well, you kids be quiet um, at the back of the bus. <laughs> I don't think Hama wrote it to be funny, but I found it funny because it's it's so realistic and it's a funny beat to end on. Uh, so that... <laughs> That was my favorite line. There was there was also some lovely some lovely Dr. Mindbender moments as as always as well. There was uh let me let me see if I can spot it. Um, he's talking about his his schemes while he's sipping from a pineapple and Laura's asking questions like those machines you have set up in your lab. He says, "Exactly, my little CG." <laughs> it's just some uh, some lovely uh, dialogue and little turns of phrase. I, I enjoyed uh, Mindbender's um, costuming for the, uh, the the Tomb Raider sequence, the, the Tomb Raiding sequence, where he has a white button-up shirt tucked in with a light gray sports blazer, a belt, and uh, light gray slacks. I don't know that we've seen Mindbender in civilian clothes before. Mm. And I can imagine either, I guess either Hama pointed out that he should wear this or Hama didn't refer to it, and Gallant thought, Oh, he, I don't think he'd be in costume here. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's with the military from Chinese military, or whatever. 
Whichever military he's in a desert. In, yeah, he's in a desert and uh He's yeah. in a desert and he might want to wear linens. Mm. Okay, so I think for for the, this issue we are just left with uh some Yo Joage scoring. Yo Jo Cola not great soda. It's Yo Joage well, I'll go first. Why not? So, so on first reading, I I felt like I was probably going to score it relatively low, sort of towards a six or something like that, because it just it felt like maybe the story didn't move quite far along as 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 I'd like. But digging into it, I think I got more of an appreciation for it. And, and yeah, ov- overall, I did enjoy it. And the story is going in all kinds of slightly crazy directions, but. I'm all for it. I'm I'm properly jumping in with both feet. Serpentor's coming back. That's fine. Clone clone, clone army of of snake eyes is maybe great. Let's go for it. See what happens. What you know? Anything else? Why not? Let's go. Let's go. Let's go wild and crazy as we uh, as we sort of count down to 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 three hundred. So I think I'll I'll land on a, about a seven for this uh, overall. Um, in terms of. Uh a comic that I would give to someone to read a six because it's a transition issue. But in terms of for all the content and the forwarding of threads. So, so my actual vote is seven. Very good. Question. What did we ask this week? Let's find out as we speak. So this episode, I did get round to doing listener questions. So my listener question was, um, and this was very forward thinking. This was prior to reading this issue. It looks like Mindbender might be up to shenanigans with his DNA regeneration tube and brainwave scanners. If he were to bring back a G.I. Joe character back to life, who would you like it to be and why? So uh, Jay Cordray uh, answered with, uh, this is our Devil's Jew co-host, Jay. Uh, There is only one acceptable answer. Snake Eyes, because it's Snake Eyes. Or maybe Quinn. Kenny Krager, uh, Snake Eyes, no doubt. They will be bringing back the original uh, for the end of the series. Peter Seddon, I don't know who this loser is. 100% 100% on Snake Eyes, pretty sure that because he died off panel, we never saw a body. In comics, that means that he's still alive and you don't even need to worry about cloning. Yeah, imagine that, that they clone him and they've got a Snake Eyes uh, and then actually the original Snake Eyes wasn't dead and he, he turns up well and then we've got like uh, four Snake Eyes running about. Adam Riches of comic and toy art fame says, uh, Sneak peek. Third time's the charm, uh, and it'll be fourth time, including Devil's Due. See, because th- I've got my own theory that I've mentioned before on that, that I think it would actually work if he came back because he died off panel. If he dies off the panel, it's not real, and he could just uh, have pretended to die so that he could be a deep undercover agent living out his life in Dark Clonia with his true love. Gary Viola's gone, uh, gone niche. Captain Min and Tyrone, who died back in uh, back in the old freighter. Chris McLeod, Full Force Chris, Diagnostic 80, Raptor. Again, one of the victims of the freighter. Uh, Stephen Miller, Breaker or Quick Kick or Trent. 
Uh, we had another vote for Breaker from Bleak5170, uh, who's my favourite of the, the Bleaks. He said 100% Breaker. He was my second favourite Joe of all time. I loved how he and Clutch always appeared together. And you don't have too many friendships like that in the comic. Um, who else did we have? We had Edmundy. Billy is one of the few characters whose memories Mindbender has on file. And he was the first casualty of revanche. So maybe fitting to bring him back as a Father's Day gift for the boss to finish off the Blue Ninjas. And we had... <laughs> we had Carol, aka Richard Straw, uh, with Fred Seven, the best Cobra Commander. Controversial issue three hundred must end with the scanner being utterly destroyed and everyone's memory of it being wiped. It's the only way that it can end. Either that, or the scanner will destroy the world. And so, so those were mostly via uh, Facebook. Head on over to, to the Talking Joe Facebook group to join in the discussions when they happen uh, but we did also have a couple of voice notes using the new voice notes uh, facility so uh, if you do want to leave us a message uh, you can head on over to talkingjoe.co.uk uh, there is a link there at the bottom of the contact us section uh, to uh, the link for for leaving a voice memo uh, and you could leave us one uh, like uh, Chris Hagen did. Um, now he caveated that he left this message and said sparks many times, but actually meant shooter. So when he says uh, sparks, as he does many times, um, then then just imagine that he is actually saying uh, shooter. So uh, Dr. Mindbender is up to shenanigans and I'd like to see Shooter. Sparks come back to life. And I have no idea why Dr. Mindbender would bring Sparks Shooter. back to life. But I think Shooter. Sparks should see uh, the ripple effects of her sacrifice and how her one action at the very beginning allowed an ever-expanding G.I. Joe universe to grow uh, and all that came from that. So uh, bring back Sparks Shooter. so that Sparks Shooter. can... Uh, see uh, yeah the effects of her sacrifice so that's alluding to uh shooter one of the original joes who died in uh gi joe classified an interesting uh selection uh there hmm so next up we have skinny who left us this message this is skinny most people would probably want serpentor doc Quick Kick, Breaker, one of the mainstream characters resurrected, but what I was thinking was Mangler. You could have Dr. Mindbender go back to the site and collect his DNA for regeneration purposes. Then you could have a storyline where Mangler didn't die instantly, that he was left to lay there and suffer. And during that time, he built up a hatred for the G.I. Joes, kind of like a Wade Collins type of arc. And then uh, one of the themes that uh, Larry usually had was revenge is not the best option. So you could import that into the series as well, like a little mini-series. There we go. Evil Frankenstein mm. Mangler. Uh, any any mm. any thoughts, reactions to, to that, that list or ideas of your own of who you'd like to kind of randomly uh, appear back as, a, as one of... Mindbenders, minions. Uh, well, sh 
Shooter is interesting because it's from the one Devil's Due story that Hama wrote that Hama counts in his continuity, if, I, if I'm remembering that correctly. Mm-hmm. Did he write two? Um, There's the, some of the oh, Devil's, uh, uh, some uh, of the Storm Shadow. Uh, Frontline. Um, oh, yeah, sorry. Oh, one of three. Uh, uh, Mission That Never Was, Frontline 1 through 4, Declassified 1 through 3, and then, yeah. Which makes me think of that first arc of G.I. Joe Origins at IDW where Hama had sort of the villain before Cobra Commander. And I don't remember if he died. I think he did. I think he fell. Um, I don't want this guy to come back. But if we're throwing out um, interesting ideas, sort of who who are the who are the characters that have died, who it would be a surprise. Uh, and I don't even remember that guy's name because I haven't read the story since it came out. But I like that story. So I, I do want to reread that story. So that guy, <laughs> I think he had glasses. I think he had sunglasses and a baseball cap. <laughs> I think he went around wearing a freaky painted painting mask thing. When I was thinking about this, of of who you'd like to come back in sort of slightly, slightly kind of left field replies, um, I kept I, I thought about Voltar with his crazy old pink costume because he was another one of the uh, you know cadre that was wiped out in the in the freighter and we've not seen since. But um, he appeared briefly on the on the in the books but never properly fleshed out um so so yeah he's he's out there crazy wacko and and, you know maybe do something uh do something with with him um and and after after this um uh i asked this question we've sort of seen a bit more detail of the upcoming issues from the the idw solicits and as we know you can't necessarily always read too much into these because they're often written before uh, the actual story itself has been written. And as we know, uh, Larry Hammer makes it up as he goes along. So he's not going to be held accountable to, to sticking true to, to what's in a, a, a solicit um, blurb. Uh, but um, in in issue 296 uh, solicits, uh, and if you, Tim, I don't, if you would want to be spoiled, maybe just... Uh, t- Put your fingers in your ears for, for a couple of seconds. But... Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> he, he said maybe the answer is all of the above uh, because uh, he talks about uh, Dr. Mindbender resurrecting dangerous villains and heroes alike in the hope of creating the deadliest Cobra army ever. It'll be up to the warriors of G.I. Joe to foil their arch enemies' uh, evil machinations before it's too late. Game for the come back fate of the world is barreling, barreling to a camp calamitous, a calamitous conclusion, and it's time for every single player to go all in. All in, that's a betting term. Ha <laughs> New and classic heroes and villains will fill the pages, including some shocking appearances as the fan favourite creative team of living legend Larry Hammer and S.L. Gallant begin the final treacherous march to issue 300. You're safe now, Tim. Do I sing the jingle yet? <laughs> I was going to point out as well. We got we got some solicit dates. We've got uh, next up two nine three is currently solicited for June eighth, two nine four, June twenty ninth, two nine five, July thirteenth, and two nine six, July twenty seventh. Now we know we can't always we can't always trust these dates not to to move, but. We might be seeing some uh, fortnightly GI Joe for a little while, and um, if anyone can, can if, if anyone can do it, SL Gallant can do it. Tim, 
Uh, uh, hubcomics.com, hub a real American, <laughs> real American book. <laughs> com, talkingjoe.co.uk. Thanks to our backers. Yeah. Thanks to all backers, Richard, Sam, Bill, Christopher, Justin, who are getting early access to episodes and exclusive content. If you want to be like them, be the cool kids on Patreon. Uh, follow the link from talkingjoe.co.uk, which is our website. Links to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Record, leave us a recording message. Leave us an email. Uh, and, you know, do all of those things. Tim, where can people find you? Hubcomics.com. Hubcomics. <laughs> and, and a realamericanbook.com. Very good. You can find us next time on Talking Joe when we will be talking about ARA 293 High Stakes Part 3. Hopefully some point in June when uh, when the issue comes out. Uh, we'll also be catching up to talk about G.I. Joe Disavowed in our look at the D- Devil's Due era. Ah, so I think we can now sing our way off into the distance because we're done. But as always, nobody beats <laughs> done. <laughs> so, yeah, go on. Sorry, yeah, you had a couple words. Left. Um, but remember, nobody beats talking Joe, a real America, an international podcast. Ah, Rikey. We ended up talking a lot longer than I thought. Uh, Laters. (laughs) You've got places to be, things to do, people to see, life to lead.